Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Awfully glad to have uh, you listening to the show today. Thank you for uh, tuning in. I hope you listen to Susie Larson live. She's always awesome. I'm a big fan of uh, her show, and I hope you um, have had a great week. We're going to talk to Lori Short today. She's written a book called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. And what in the world is God doing It's easy to wonder this. We're living in an unfolding story, and it's hard to hold on to when difficult circumstances linger or your deepest prayer hangs in the air seemingly unanswered. Those are some words by Lori Short, who's my guest today. Lori, welcome. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be here. Thank you. Cool new book. Thanks. you got to be excited about this. I sure am. I will read the title one more time. Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. Okay, let's start with God's mysterious timing because I know everyone's interested in that. Well, I don't think there's a person alive who doesn't think God's timing isn't mysterious. I think, you know, we know in theory and with our faith that God's timing is good, but it doesn't feel that way sometimes. Sometimes when you're in the dark or you're in a long wait, or like I said, you've had a prayer that you've been offering to God for a long time and it feels like he's not listening, he feels mysterious. Faith is mysterious. But you know, I think about the definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And I think where it's really, really challenging is when what you do see seems to contradict your belief. And that's when you have to learn to live these seasons where God feels like he's not there. He is there, but it feels like he's not. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I call it God's mysterious timing, because I think that's how people experience it. Yeah. All right. I'm already in chapter two of your book. Time is never lost. Let's talk about that. Well, that's an interesting concept because we feel like time is lost, but time itself is never lost. It's just what we wanted to do with that time. Mm -hmm. Maybe we uh, look at a season and we think, well, this isn't what I had in mind at all. Um, For me, it was being single for a long time when I longed to be married, and I felt like I was losing time. You know, my biological clock is ticking, and... I'm not finding the guy and, you know, I get into my 30s and my 40s and when I finally got married, you know, it wasn't the timing that I had in mind, but I look back on the time that I did spend and see now what God did with that time. And what I realize now being married is that marriage isn't all of life. I think when you have a desire that you want so badly, it feels like my life isn't even going to start until this happens. But life is happening every day. It's just what you do at that time. Mm -hmm. And what I do in the book is I take three different stories of Scripture that are probably pretty well known to people. But what I do 
is look at the parts of the stories that people don't always see. I think the parts of the stories that you don't hear about on Sunday morning. For instance, the first story in Time is Never Lost is the story of Moses in the wilderness between the time he was in Egypt and the time of the burning bush. So we have a 40-year period where Moses was just a shepherd wandering the wilderness, probably thinking that that's how his life was going to end. Mm -hmm. Sharpening his shepherd skills. Exactly. But he didn't know that while he was living it. And I think we always hear what happened when Moses got to the burning bush. And then we look back in retrospect and go, oh, thank goodness that Moses spent all that time in the wilderness. He needed to know some of the secrets of the wilderness because he was going to be spending a long time there. But Moses experientially did not know that when he was going through it. And that's where we live so often is in those 40-year waits Mm -hmm. where we do not see what's coming. And we don't know what God is doing, but God is always moving and working around us to prepare us for things that are coming, but we just don't know they're coming. And another tender thing that happened during that time is he got to know his father-in-law, Jethro, Mm -hmm. the one that gave him his daughter in marriage and was so kind to him. And, you know, Jethro ends up being very significant in Moses's life. Moses never had a dad uh, besides Pharaoh because he was found, you know, his mother put him in the river and, or his sister put him in the river and he ends up getting taken and raised in Pharaoh's palace. But he was pretty much a fatherless guy. And here this man takes him in, offers him his daughter in marriage, and then after Uh, Moses does have his encounter in the burning bush and he's leading thousands of people. He has a leadership problem and Jethro comes and, and is concerned about him like a son. And so you see kind of this relationship that was formed at a time when Moses probably thought, what am I doing with my life? I guess I'm just gonna, well, in fact, we know how he felt during that time because he had two children and he named one of them Gershon, which means alien. So you can kind of <laughs> figure that that's uh, Moses probably wasn't all that excited during that time of his life, just feeling like he was an alien in a foreign land. But God was moving. And you know, we look back on that and we go, oh, of course. But you notice that it's only two paragraphs in the Bible. Like you hear so much about Moses before and after, especially mm-hmm. after. But that was a pretty long time of his life. And I don't think we really take into consideration when we're reading these people's stories how long it was that they were in those dark seasons. That's such a great point. Lori Short is my guest. Her uh, book is called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. And we have four copies of the book to give out. So if you'd like to get in on the drawing, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. I think you know the drill. Just the word book, four letters, B-O-O-K. No emojis, nothing else, just four letters. All right, Lori, forcing your way can complicate your life. Do say more. All right. Well, this is a chapter for all controllers like myself. I always say, you know, let go and let God is such a great saying. It's a little bit harder to live. Move God out of the way and take over isn't as popular, but it probably is more <laughs> yeah. more the way we live. And the person that I point to first is Jacob, because Jacob was born with this prophecy that, of course, he would end up getting the birthright and the younger will end up ruling over the older. And they were twins, he and Esau, but it's interesting how he comes out of the womb grasping Esau's heel 
even just then you have this idea that Jacob's going to have a hard time waiting for his life to play out. And certainly that was true because he, uh, you know, ended up, first of all, tricking Esau um, into giving him his birthright, you know, approaching him with a meal when he was starving and then putting fur on his uh, arms to dress up like Esau. And so, you know, Isaac, his father ends up blessing him instead. So all these things happen and presumably God knew they were going to happen But what you see in Jacob is he is a manipulator. He's a controller. And I think a lot of us relate to that because when you want something in your life, it's so hard to wait for God's timing when it's not happening. And I always say you kind of know, we work in concert with God. So it's not like you sit on a couch and wait for God to do everything in your life. You participate with him. But when we are wanting something that it's pretty clear it's not coming to us the way God would have it come to us, that's when we're kind of bordering on forcing our way. And it's not that God abandons us at that point. He's always redeeming our stories, even when we take a right turn way out of the way. I mean, God can work that in. And my last example in the in this, in that chapter is of David, because I think he forced his way, and but he repented and came back, and God worked that out in his story. But he invited a lot of heartbreak into his life because of that. And so if we can wait for God, if we can wait for God, and that was the lesson of Jacob's life, I think, when he wrestled with the angel. Um, you know, I, I find it interesting that, you know, he got a new name. He, it, he, was, he was named, you know, deceiver. Jacob, that's what that means. And then he got a new name, which was Israel, which means... Um, struggled with God and overcome. And of course, the nation was named after that. But what's interesting is Jacob doesn't win the battle. I mean, he he walks away with a limp from that wrestling match, not the angel. And so what exactly did he overcome? And I, I kind of maintain that I think what he overcame was from that point on in his life, he is much more subdued and he is much more willing to go to God first and to wait for God, and to submit to God. And that's a process in our life, I think, because when we first come to know the Lord, we tend to think God's going to be in our pocket and just say, oh, this is going to be great. Now now I know somebody who's going to be able to answer all my prayers exactly the way I want them. And there's a process that happens in faith where we, what I call, shift from the driver's seat of the vehicle, and you move to the passenger seat and actually allow God to drive the car. And I think that happened to Jacob later in life. And I think the limp was part of it, that sometimes God has to break us in a way so that we are dependent, more dependent on God instead of running our own life. Mm -hmm. Really good. Lori Short is my guest. Her book is Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works, we have four copies of this book to give out. If you would like to get in on the drawing, text the word book, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. 
We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. Welcome back to the show. Lori Short's my guest. Her brand new book is Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing. Lori, when did this book come out? Actually, it just came out three weeks ago. Awesome. Okay. And is, the there press. A, is there a study that goes along with this? If I wanted to get a group of people and a little Bible study, is there a, something else, an addendum to I'm this? I'm so glad you asked, Bill. Well, thank yes, you. there there is. There's a 10-week video study that came out on Right Now Media. It's also available on my website, but this would be a great book to do in a small group. So I highly recommend. It's a kind of book that you live in and maybe do a devotional through sure. or do it in a group study because mm-hmm. you, it's sort of bite-sized pieces, as you can tell as we're talking about it. You just, you got to, it, it will really bring up things in your life that yeah. you can interact with. All right, let's talk about Your Little Leads to God's Big. Right. That is a great, great start. Well, it's, I think, so true. And, I mean, all we know is the little. That's where we live. And then God does something with it that we can never imagine. And uh, the first person that I talk about in that chapter is Ruth, because that story, of course, the story of Ruth, um, is a tragic story at the beginning. And it all happens in the first chapter that everybody's husband dies. So we have Ruth and Naomi, her mother-in-law, and uh, and her sister-in-law, and they all three lose um, their husbands. So essentially, Naomi loses her two sons and her husband. Terrible. It's horrible. awful. Yeah. And they're in a foreign land. That's right. So she had go- she had gone to Moab to marry this man and and had obviously become very close with her daughters-in-law and loved them. And so there, the, these three women are just in abject grief and uh, the two daughters are clinging to their mother-in-law. So clearly Naomi was a, a wonderful woman in their lives. And, and then, you know, she says, please go, go back. You two have a chance to marry again. You need to go back to your home of Moab. I'm going to go to Israel. That's where I'm from. And I'm going to hope that somebody will take care of me because, of course, widows had nothing. And so not only were they in such grief, they were also completely poor and had no means to survive. So Ruth, as you know, clings to Naomi and says, I'm not going to leave you and says, your your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So she commits herself to take care of her mother-in-law and to go with her to this foreign land. And of course, you know, Naomi's telling her she's never going to meet anybody. And, you know, uh, but Ruth all she sees is, this is my call. I want to be not only with Naomi, but with her God. He, she was drawn to that. And so she comes and, and she ends up working in the fields for her mother-in-law because she's the younger one. And of course, we know that uh, those of you who know the story, Boaz takes notice of her. He's a wealthy landowner. And what I just shared this morning when I was speaking is that uh, Boaz probably had his heart for foreigners because of his mother, who was Rahab, which is an amazing thing to think about. But he saw Ruth. He saw that she was from somewhere else. He saw what she was doing for her mother-in-law, and he was immediately attracted to her character 
And of course, they end up together. They have a, a child and Naomi's life has changed and Ruth's life has changed. And then Ruth, from doing this one act, this small path that was in front of her, caring for her mother-in-law, she ends up one of five women in the genealogy of Jesus because Naomi happened to be from Bethlehem. So she ended up in Bethlehem before Jesus was born many years later. And it's just incredible to think about that, that she was responding to the need on her path and ends up in the genealogy of Jesus for that decision. And so I wonder, you know, how, how many of the decisions that we're making that are so small will have such huge ramifications. Mm-hmm. Lori, what about in John 6, what you have is all God needs? Well, in that chapter, I talk about um, just that the things that you have are the things that God needs. It's not that we need other gifts or other things. I think some of us feel like, you know, well, I only can do this or I'm, I'm not, you know. And what that chapter talks about is the boy who showed up when he was listening to Jesus with a huge crowd of people and uh, all these people were listening. There were 5,000 people there, and that's probably just the men. So there were probably even more people there. And this one boy, we only know he was a boy from John 6, that, but this account is in three of the Gospels in the, in the New Testament, the feeding of the 5,000. And so, you know, I think about this boy, and they first Jesus sends out the disciples to go get whatever food anybody had. And I'm sure when he, you know, raised his hand or you know, offered his food, he probably thought there were going to be a whole bunch of other people with food, but he ends up the only person there with five loaves. And his, you know, I'm just thinking about his, his little lunch that he gives Jesus and then what he gets to be a part of because he offers what he had, which was hardly anything. And I just love picturing that scene of Jesus and this little boy and what he got to, or I don't know how old he was. They don't really say, but he he was there with this lunch and Jesus kind of puts his arm around him and all of a sudden they start passing this out. And I'm just imagining the boy's eyes just start to grow like, what is happening here with what I had? Because as we know, they fed the 5,000 and even had baskets left over. And he got to be a part of this miracle because he offered what he had. So we think we don't have much, but you may have exactly what God needs at the moment that you arrive because you are there for a reason. And maybe you're around people for a reason that you need to give what you have. So never say, oh, I wish I had somebody else's this, or I I don't have enough gifts, or God can't use me because you are you for a reason and you are where you are for a reason. And that story I think is very motivating because I just love the fact that he had a lunch and the way that Jesus used it. You know, Lori, as I'm listening to you, I'm sitting here going, oh, Holy Spirit inspired moment as you're talking. You, you were talking about Ruth, and her part of the story is years ahead. Right. And for that little boy, it was right there and now. He could see the miracle. Don't you think we live for the, let's see the miracle right now, and, and God might be working. There might be, right now today, the future grandmother or grandfather of the next Billy Graham. And they don't even know it, but they're you know, going to Bible studies with their uh, grandkids, and they're pouring into this generation to the best of their ability. And from those seeds that they're planting, God's going to do something else with it that they may not ever see. 
So it's such a line of trust, don't Absolutely, you think? Absolutely, Rosie. Absolutely. I just, I've, I, I think that is more true. And, you know, we tend, like I think about who was the person who shared the faith with Billy Graham? You know, we don't ever talk about that person. But when, you know, in, in the God's economy, I mean, which is the greater? I mean, I just feel like whatever the job is, you know, sometimes we won't see what we're doing, the investment we're making. I mean, right now, I'm a stepmom and uh, I came into a situation and, you know, anybody who's been a step parent, you know, that that can feel like, well, I'm not really needed. I'm second here. And, you know, but I, I challenge that, that, that this was my calling and to step into it because I don't know if maybe my husband and I coming together and, and being a part of our son Jordan's life, what that's going to do because of the community we brought him into and, and the future that he will have. And what's, you know, and that's how we have to be thinking about life because, you know, our life is on an eternal timeline. So you might not see all of the impact that you are having right now. It might come unfold, become unfolded as maybe after you leave. But we do get glimpses, I think, of, little things that happen in our life, and we can know that by looking back. This is the content that's in Lori Short's book called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. We have four copies to give away, so if you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Lori, we have a couple of minutes left before we go to break, and I love your little leads to God's big what can you share from 1 Samuel 25? A step of faith can change destiny. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to have to look at that. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, it's so funny because there are so many different stories in this in this book, but let me just think that, about it. That's okay. Yeah. That happens to all of us. It does. Yes. I know. Yes. Yeah. I, well, I'm actually loving you... her more because how real is that? Well, yes. I mean, who did you have on the show yesterday? Well, let me think. <laughs> who was on yesterday, I know, Rosie? Right. You know? I, oh, yeah, we do that all the time and yet yeah. we're captivated in the moment right oh, just totally. we can't even barely do our jobs because we're listening okay. and learning at the same time and i'm so bummed that i forgot her because she is so significant and it's abigail abigail is one of the lesser known people in scripture but um if you know anything about the old testament she is the one that was married to the foolish nabal and oh, yeah. you get you sort of get right away that she's maybe an arranged marriage here because, you know, she seems like this wise and wonderful and beautiful woman who's married to a fool who has a lot of money. And, uh, and so what happens is David is just rising up in his power. You know, he's not king yet, but everyone's getting his reputation and he has people all over. He's a, a very incredible warrior. And so his soldiers, they, they ended up protecting some of Nabal's sheep and so forth. Anyway, they came to get some, some supplies, and Nabal turns them away and says, Who is this David? Should we... Uh, who is this David? That's, <laughs> who is that, and that, that's who is this David? David? Yes, who is this David? In radio. That's, that's the cliffhanger. Right. When we return from the break, uh, Lori Short will answer that question she just asked, who is this David? Her book is called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. We have four copies. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. 
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. So glad to have Lori Short as my guest today at Faith. Doubt and God's Mysterious Timing is the name of her new book. just came out three weeks ago. And we're learning about um, uh, Abigail and Nabal right now. That's right. And, and David. The cliffhanger was, so what about David? Yeah, yeah. what about him? What about David? Let's pick so it up there. David gets really mad at Nabal because, and rightly so, because here he his men have protected Nabal's property and now they just asked for some provision and he's turned them away. And so David is hopping mad. And so he starts heading for the house and the servants of the house, they pretty much know that Nabal is the fool. So they go to Abigail, the, the servant goes to Abigail and says, you've got to do something. And she doesn't have very much time to think about what she's going to do. She has to take a big risk because if she's caught by her husband, you know, she'll get in big trouble. And so, but she doesn't even take a minute to think about it. She knows that she needs to save her household. And so she ends up uh, packing some supplies and she goes to meet David, who she doesn't know. And she knows he's, you know, could kill her. I mean, she doesn't know how he's going to approach her. And so She's bowing to the ground and humbling herself. And and finally, she really stands up to David and says, please don't do this foolish thing. Let God fight your battles. Don't go. My husband is so foolish. He didn't mean this. Here's some provisions, you know, and David is met by Abigail. He he just says, wow, you stopped me from doing something. You know, it was almost like he was caught up in the moment of the emotion. I, I always say, I think David was an Enneagram 4, which I am too, but um, just very emotional. And he was caught up and, and she's, uh, you know, she's basically saying, you, you know the Lord. We know your reputation. You are a man of God. Let God do this. Let God take care of you. And he says, I, I have been stopped today by a very wise woman. I, you know, you have spoken truth to me. And he turns around and he, um, goes away and she comes back. And what's interesting is the the big path of Abigail's life is because she did that, she made an impression on David and she goes back and Nabal ends up having a heart attack and dies and David proposes to Abigail. So she doesn't even have any idea that this is going to be the future of the big part of the story. What she knows is I've got to save my household and I've got to do this. And so I maintain in that chapter that we're making these decisions about smaller things in our life that end up becoming bigger. And that's the God part of the decision. It's either down the line in the future or maybe like the boy, it's the amount of what you give and what God does with it. But we are in charge of the small, and God is in charge of the big. And I think that's how we live our life. Mm-hmm. Lori Short is my guest, and you can uh, go look at her book online right now if you want to go to Amazon.com. Her book is called yes. Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. But you can also sign up right now to try to be in the drawing to win one. So we've got four copies to give out. So text the word book to 877-933-2484. So Lori, uh, when I look at chapter 5 in Exodus um, or in Genesis 35, 
go back to where God met you because guidance comes from behind. What does that mean? So I always call him the rear view mirror God because I think that so much of what God is doing is seen best when we look back. But also what's interesting about the Bible is that over and over again, God, through the scripture writers, uses the word remember, remember, remember. It's used so many times through scripture. And what's what's crazy about it, and this is what I discovered, is that most of the context where remember is used is for confidence in what's ahead. So God is saying, if you want confidence for what's ahead, remember the faithfulness in the past. And and a couple of the stories that I give, and I actually give a couple of angles on this truth, which I think are kind of interesting. But with Jacob again, we find him going back to Bethel. He goes back to the place where he met God. And I find that in our lives, sometimes we have to return to those places where we've either had an experience with God, or maybe it's a, a situation or a circumstance, or even back in our journals where we have to relive an experience so that we can remember God's faithfulness then and then have courage for what's ahead. And that's what Jacob needed. He needed courage because something was about to happen. His sons had gotten into trouble and he thought they were going to get attacked and he needs courage from God. And so he goes back. And so that's one angle of remembering. But you know what I also say in this chapter, Bill, is that I talk about how what you remember matters because it's not just remembering, it's what you remember because we learned that with the Israelites. Once the Israelites came out of Egypt and they're in the promised land, it was not a month and a half after the Red Sea parted that they are now remembering what life was like in Egypt, but they're not remembering it accurately. They're saying, oh my gosh, if only we could go back to Egypt. Why are we in this wilderness? Moses, you brought us here to die. You know, never mind that the Red Sea just parted and they just saw God do that. Now they don't know how they're going to eat. They don't know how they're going to get something to drink. They're complaining and they're thinking back to Egypt with fondness, like, oh gosh, you know, the whole part of them being slaves is completely overlooked. And they remember all the food they ate there and all the things that happened that, you know, you're going, well, you were a slave. I mean, how could, how good could it have been? But I think that happens to us. Sometimes we idealize things in the past. We don't remember the right things. And I think what God wants us to do is remember accurately. And it's important to have people around you that are reminding you. I think that's why we go to church and to our small groups is that we need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. So it's, it's both remembering, but it's also how you remember, mm-hmm. I think. And how do you stay close to that conviction of look at what God has done for me? It's almost like alcoholics and people with drug addictions and they go through a low point and they have an experience where they say, all right, I am never going to do this again, ever. And they've got that strong conviction and six weeks later they relapsed. Right. It's like, well, what happened that you said you'd never do it again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I do think that, you know, life is hard and it's scary. And sometimes you don't see what God's doing. And sometimes you're looking ahead and you're going, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And, and there's so many challenges in life that I think we, you know, in, in a case of somebody who said, I'm never going to do that again. And then they do it again. You know, it's, it's like you, 
you lose your way and and you just think that's my security. I I've got to go there. But, you know, I think so much of it is the trust that God is going to take you through it, that you will make it, but you have to join him in that, that courage, you know? I mean, eventually Jacob had to leave the place that he went to remember God. He had to go forward into the challenge that faced him. And that's where we have to go. And so it's, you know, maintaining that somehow, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Laura Short's new book is called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. Laurie, I love this chapter. Holding on may mean letting go. Yeah. And so you have to let go to embrace what's yours. And that comes out of Genesis 33. Yeah. So that's the story of Esau. You know, I talk about Jacob a couple times in the book, but Esau gets his moment here. Um, You know, the concept of holding on um, means that you may have to let go. I think if we're really going to hold on to God throughout our lives, we're going to have to let go. There's going to be things that you're going to have to let go of. You're going to have to let go of the plans you have, because I don't know about anybody who's listening, but, you know, God's plan so often is not our plan. And at some point, we have to lay our plan down because, uh, you know, God doesn't do everything that we want him to do when we want him to do it. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in anybody's life. So at some point, we all have to let go. But the story that I use here first is the story of Esau. So we already know that Esau loses his birthright and he's furious and rightly so because he was deceived. And, uh, you know, everyone says, well, he threw away his birthright for a meal. Well, he was starving to death. He wasn't thinking clearly, you know, Jacob kind of, you know, I mean, sure, it was partly his fault, but I think what happened to Esau was really unfair. And of course he is, the last time we leave him in scripture is he's mad and Jacob has to run away and he goes to live with his uncle But we don't really hear about Esau again until Esau and Jacob come together. And of course, Jacob is now leaving with his two wives and his 12 kids and, you know, all of his livestock and he's traveling and he gets word that Esau is coming to meet him. And he just imagines in his mind, he's terrified and, uh, and, and Esau's coming and he has all these people with him. So it's clear that Esau has become successful in whatever he's done. And it's sort of this dramatic moment. And then all of a sudden, just when Jacob thinks he's going to be killed by his brother, Esau comes running towards him and locks him in a full court embrace. I mean, it's just this beautiful, incredible story where Jacob says, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. And, you know, scholars, some scholars think that Jesus was hearkening back to this story when he tells the story of the prodigal son that it was Esau and his grace coming towards Jacob. And so I I say in this chapter, somewhere along the way, Esau let go of what he thought should be his and embraced what he had. And it was good enough for him. And he then could reconcile with Jacob and forgive him because he no longer held that. And I think so often in our lives, we have to do that again and again to let go, to be able to move forward in our lives. As you're saying that, Lori, it's, it, it just is occurring to me that Jacob received the earthly the earthly spoils, right? He right. he had this amazing family and 
this great heritage and was right with God. And But Esau had heaven's economy. Yeah. Esau had riches in heaven by forgiving, by embracing, by, you know, letting go, as you say. Yeah. And how many times are we waiting for today's spoils? Right. Right? Exactly. I know. Oh, I know. Right. And both men had pain in their lives. It's not mm-hmm. like, oh, Jacob went on from there and everything was great in his life and it was so unfair to Esau. No, Jacob, you know, because he was a deceiver, I think God brought Laban, his uncle, into his life, who was mm-hmm. an even bigger deceiver and made his life very complicated. And he had to work 14 years and ended up with two wives and two maids. I mean, all the stuff that ended up happening to Jacob, which I think... You know, it, no life goes unscathed. And so at some point, you have to just accept and receive the life that God has given you because you're the only one that can live the life you've given. I love the fact that Jesus may have been hearkening back to Esau when he was describing the love of God. That's an amazing thought to I've think I've never about. thought that before. I've never put, pulled that together. Isn't yeah. that amazing, Bill? Mm, it is. Really interesting. Yeah. All right, we're taking a little break. Lori Short has got four copies of her new book, Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, to give away. So if you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We will be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Good content, Lori Short. This is a great book. Congratulations on your brand new book, Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing. If you just joined us, we are uh, learning quite a bit. So, Lori, let's go back to um, holding on may mean letting go. Let's maybe talk a little bit more about that. So a couple of the other examples that I use is letting go of how God shows up. And I think we learned that with Elijah Elijah, more than anybody else in the Bible, saw God manifested in so many different ways, you know, from the prophets of Baal, this incredibly powerful, amazing miracle that God does to the cave where it's just still small voice and and Elijah now wants to die. You know, I mean, he's just, I think that he had to realize that God was going to show up differently in his life. And I think that's such an important lesson for us because when God has shown up a certain way, I think we tend to think he's going to show up that same way again. And what I have heard, and I think C.S. Lewis talks about this so beautifully in the Chronicles of Narnia, is that God never shows up the same way twice. And uh, and that's that's what Aslan showed Lucy. And I think that's true about God and us. And we have to be always prepared to see God differently. And then the third way of letting go is I talk about the servants at the wedding that where Jesus turned the water into wine, that they had to let go of their potential livelihoods to do what this guest was saying, because Jesus had no miracles under his belt when he did this. And they were the ones that filled the water jars, and they could have gotten into huge trouble for doing this. But for whatever reason, they decided to let go and trust 
this Jesus, this teacher that had told him to do that, and they got to participate in Jesus's first miracle by their willingness to let go. So letting go takes so many forms in our life. I mean, and that's what I try to do in this book is kind of look at a truth from several different angles, because I think we get a lot, so much from scripture that's there for us. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about God is in the hard. Sometimes we're led where we don't want to go. So I I use Hagar in that story because I think that what's interesting about Hagar is most people know the story when she initially runs away because she is being mistreated by Sarah. And she is the one that is impregnated with their child because they just couldn't wait any longer. Um, and, uh, and, you know, she's the victim of the story. So she is sent in the desert and God meets her through an angel and Hagar names, you know, God, you are the God who sees me. But what's interesting is that God tells her to go back. She has to go back to, to Sarah and be in that situation. Then we find her a couple chapters later where she obviously, you know, they made do and then Sarah got pregnant. And so now their ch- children are being raised in the house, Ishmael and Isaac. Well, now... Hagar's being sent away. She doesn't run away. She's being sent away. And I find that very interesting that she had somehow gotten used to her life. It probably wasn't that great because she still was, you know, Sarah didn't love having her around, but she had gotten used to it. And I think so many of us get used to that kind of life that maybe God wants to take us from. And I think when when Hagar was sent away, she didn't want to go. She was so scared and she was with her child. She didn't think she had enough food and God provides for her again in the desert. But this time he doesn't tell her to go back. He tells her to move forward, that her son is going to provide for her, that he will grow up and provide for her. So she gets sent where she doesn't want to go both times. One time it was to go back and the other time it was not to be there. And I think so often God in our life is working in a way that isn't always going to feel good, but it's going to be taking us to a mature faith. A a New Testament example of that is Peter. You know, right after he denies Jesus and then Jesus goes to the cross, and I can only imagine how, how Peter must have felt when all this was happening. And then, of course, he's risen from the dead, and he goes to Peter. And I I always think about, like, what did Peter feel? You know, the last words where he did exactly what Jesus said. He denied him. And Jesus, you know, reinstates him by asking him three times if he loves him, giving him that chance again. And then he tells Peter that when you were younger, you went where you wanted but when you're older, someone else will take you where you do not want to go. And then the scripture says it said, it said that because it indicated the kind of death that Peter would have. And, and I, you know, it's, it's interesting language because when you're younger, I, I always think of that when you're younger in the faith, God sometimes in a way babies you and kind <laughs> of gives you what you want, you know, and then you grow up. And when you're older, you might be led where you do not want to go because that's where I'm going to use you the most powerfully. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that God we discover is in the hard. It's not the hard is apart from God. And that's what I think we think. We feel like, oh, I'm going through a hard time. God's absent. He's not with me. He's somewhere else. He doesn't like me. That's why I'm going through this. No, no, no. 
God is with you over and against your circumstances, and God is actually showing affection to you by taking you to a deeper place. It means He believes in you, and He wants to grow your faith. Mm-hmm. Lori Short is my guest. Her book is Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing. We have four copies to give out. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. We have about six minutes left, Lori, so maybe we should focus on chapter eight. When in doubt, look at Jesus. So, Bill, the reason I wrote this chapter is that I've been a Christian a long time, and I've had a lot of disappointments in looking at leaders and people in my life that had huge influence on my life. We have all seen people that we have respected and learned from fall, and it can be devastating for our faith. And so what I say in this chapter is there's only one person that we can look at and really know that this is our leader um, because we're all subject to fall. That, you know, I mean, I've almost lost my faith a couple times because there were people that were had so much influence on me. And when I saw what happened or what they were really doing or what came out later, and it was just such a disappointment to me. Um, but Colossians talks about he is the only, he, you know, the son is the exact representation of God. And God in his fullness dwelt in him. So really, we should be looking at Jesus if we want any kind of example in the faith. We can all be partial examples, but we all have stuff in us where we disappoint people. And so then what I do in that chapter is I I look at the way Jesus ministered and what we learn about God. And it was a really fun chapter to write. Um, the first one is just God or Jesus asleep in the boat with the disciples when the storm comes up, you know, that he tells them to come in the boat. And so they go in the boat and they go on the Sea of Galilee and the storm comes up and then Jesus takes a nap. And uh, and I, I think, how many times in my life have I felt like God was sleeping in my crisis? <laughs> and and the fact that, that, that he shows us in that chapter where he is in crisis, when it feels like he's asleep, he's right there. And the only reason he's sleeping is because he has full control over what's happening. And and that's what was true about the disciples. I mean, they were just like, don't you care? We're drowning. And, and he says, oh, you have little faith. And then, of course, calms the weather. So they learn something new about Jesus. But I love that because I, a lot of times when I'm going through hard times, I just feel like, where are you? Do you even care about what's happening to me? And uh, and and then I, I also talk about just kind of the layers of difference in the way that God works when we think about Jairus, the wealthy ruler with the need of the daughter, and you know the whole crowd going towards this healing that's going to happen to Jairus's daughter because he was a synagogue leader, and then there's this one bleeding woman from the crowd, totally poor, totally anonymous, and reaches out and touches, hoping to stay anonymous and just get her healing and go. And Jesus stops the whole train and turns to her and has this whole huge conversation. And while he's having this conversation, Jairus's daughter dies. And there's so much going on here between these two people. Not only did they both get what, you know, far beyond what they wanted, they were both actually ministered to in so many layers of ways because Jairus, the person who's used to being the most important, the one that everybody stops and listens to, is the one that is sidelined. 
And the woman who's used to having no attention and nobody knowing is the one that is all the attention's on her. Then Jairus has to give up his healing. They come to him and say, oh, your, your daughter's died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, trust me. And so Jairus has to trust that Jesus is going to do something. He has no idea what he could possibly do. If his daughter's dead, what could Jesus possibly do? He wanted the healing. He didn't know that Jesus could rise his daughter from the dead. And so what Jairus got was way more than what he wanted. But there is so much going on in that passage, and it just shows me that God is at work in so many different layers and so many different people all at the same time. We think it's all about our story because that's the story we're living. But he's not just working in your story. He's working in the people around you, and he's working throughout time. And there's so many things that are happening all at once. And I think these are the things that we learn about God through Jesus. There's so many stories. But I, I just say the main thing is keep your focus on Jesus if you really want to see the leader of your faith. We can get some things from other leaders, but the one who represents God is Jesus. Yeah. Well done, Lori Short. Thank you so much for being on the show. Lori's book is called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. Lori's nice enough to give us four copies of her book to give away. If you'd like to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. And you can also go to amazon.com. And I think they probably let you read the first chapter for free, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah, so you can get a taste of the book, which is always a lovely thing to do. Yes, there's even a video clip there. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. All right, we'll take a little break and we will be right back in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.